You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Uh, Lindsay, I'm curious how curious how this hits you. Oh no! As feeling types, twos experience a buildup of energy and sometimes tension around their chest, diaphragm, and shoulders. Very empathetic and attuned to others, they may restrict or suspend their own breathing while waiting for other people's approval. Although full of energy and expressive in their upper bodies, it can be hard for them to sense their lower bodies and stay grounded. They tend to spill over and discharge their anxiety or uncontained emotional energy through talking and relating. Mm. It's not uncommon for them to somatize or convert unacknowledged feelings into physical symptoms. Mm. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. In fact, I'll often, I've done a lot of awareness work now, but I remember I used to get migraines after the holidays. Like my Mm. body would manifest, you know, this headache because I'd been just holding all this tension in my shoulders, my chest. Fascinating. Yeah. Mm. 100%. 100%. Nice. Yeah. I mean, so, sorry. Nice. <laughs> no. Awesome. Glad, to, glad to hear you resonate. <laughs> <laughs> Migraines. Awesome. So I guess today we're just going to jump right in and we're talking about Christmas and all the things that are involved in, with that. And uh, we have a, we have a guest, we have a guest host <laughs> who is, um, he he really conveys the the fundamental realities of life by most of the time just uttering non um, <laughs> non intelligible words to express and yet so profound the fundamental profundity and um, unexplainability of reality. Uh, <laughs> uh, Seth, who who's with you today? Or Abram, sorry. This this is uh, my five month old, as of yesterday, son Barrett, or as we call Barrett. him, Bear. Bear. Baby Bear. And, and why is Bear joining today. us today? Oh, because that's just where we're at today. <laughs> Which is a great segue into the holidays. <laughs> yes, um, it is. <laughs> sometimes it's just where we're at, and you you know. Well, let's start with uh, some some fun some fun stuff. Uh, tell me, with <laughs> okay, we've had this debate. Seth and I have had this a bit debate of when does Christmas start, Lindsay? December twenty fifth. Tiebreaker. <laughs> Wait, when <laughs> you only say Merry Christmas on December twenty fifth? I will say Happy Advent until December twenty fifth, and then for twelve days, I'll say Merry Christmas, and then Happy Whoa. Epiphany. Wow. Okay. Well, that's just different than anybody. I'm just a liturgical yeah. calendar girl. Us, I, say. Uh, okay. I like that. Calendar. Calendar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michigan. A liturgical um, calendar Michigander. <laughs> um, wait. Okay. But Seth, one yeah, of our friends thinks Christmas starts like at Thanksgiving or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he starts Ew. saying Merry Christmas to people at that point. Ew. I know. No. It's like Thanksgiving is part of Christmas? No, I don't think so. I, I think the Christmas season starts December 1st. You can throw 1st. people under the bus if you don't name them. It's okay to do that. Oh, great. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
this guy. Ugh. Definitely a well, seven. For me. On to the next adventure. <laughs> actually not. <laughs> He's actually a two. But for me, well, right, I, I allow myself to indulge Christmassy things uh, after Thanksgiving dinner because the um, the tradition in in my family is we always watch White Christmas Thanksgiving Christmas. evening. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, and, no, I think that's way too early. I watch White Christmas on Christmas Day. I understand that. I understand that. And we can respectfully disagree on that. But I don't fully get into it until December 1st. That's White Christmas is just like a palette. I don't know what the right word is, but it starts the palette up. Sure. Palette cleanser um, from Halloween no, and Thanksgiving? Like, yeah, kind of. Anyways, so uh, what is what are some traditions you all have around the holiday seasons? Well, I mean, we've we've done the kind of classic before we had kids actually the pjs like christmas eve we would go out and get some you know Mm. and then we have been doing or at least my wife has been getting all the kiddos the same christmas pjs which is pretty fun um but we will we usually go out and get a tree i think the day after or yeah the day after thanksgiving is pretty consistent when we do that growing up that we did you know like the you know, you count down the days with a some kind of cal- calendar, probably advent calendar of mm-hmm. telling, lighting things. And <laughs> Wait, what's the difference <laughs> between stories. getting a Christmas tree the day after Thanksgiving and me watching a movie on Thanksgiving evening? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the trees is a tree. It's less... It's it's a it's more symbolic than you're actually uh, like verbally directly saying Merry Christmas and watching Christmas things. <laughs> that that feels more. You're direct. just getting the centerpiece of all Christmas <laughs> and decorating it in your house the day after uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, but do I you see. get the tree and decorate the tree on the same day? No, we we usually decorate it like the 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 day after at least. I see no difference. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have a similar Uh, tradition. Lindsay, what about you? We we used to go Thanksgiving weekend sometime and go to a tree farm, pick out a tree, chop the tree down, all of that. And it's just, in your mind, it's so much nicer and sweeter than it actually ends up being with three little kids (laughs) who like, somebody's mad. Somebody has to go to the bathroom. Like it's oh, cold. Man. Sometimes it's wet and muddy. Our vehicle has gotten stuck driving through the farm at different times. So the last <laughs> few years, what we've been doing is going to this like local homemade donut shop. They do like donut, ice cream, uh, apple cider, stuff like that. It's this old fashioned kind Ooh. of, it used to be um, a gas station and now it's a little restaurant and they have all these pre-cut trees. So you're not choosing a for- from a forest of trees. You're just choosing from like 50 yeah. trees. And then you get to go inside and have donuts and hot cider and, you know, be home within the same hour. It's really much, much better. Okay. I, like understandable with younger kids for sure. Yeah. But you do bring up another uh, highly, what's the word, contested uh, Christmas thing, whether it's real trees or fake trees. 
and real. I will fight for real. I will fight for it. At least I'll fight can, someone. <laughs> I, at least all of us can agree on that yes. for sure. Real also, going, this is something you were talking about the kids' experience with it all, and that for us has meant we go to Lowe's to get our <laughs> Christmas tree instead of their yes. farm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is sad, but it's at least I. It's just feels like I'm settling, but it's better than the fake thing I tell myself. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine as they get older, you could probably do that more, right? Totally. Yeah, I um, grew up going to a tree farm and cutting it down. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, just when they're all old enough to like not ruin it for me with their whining, that's when we can go back to the tree farm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't Um, know. Because it's about me. It's about Uh, my Christmas experience. Right. (laughs) Uh, So in leading up to Christmas, do you all do anything in particular that helps get you into the mood? What is the spirit of Christmas? Ooh. (laughs) You said fluffy. You said we were keeping it light. No, that's an yeah, interesting sorry. question. No, I, I don't know if how how far under that will go. Obviously, but for like, I think of a lot of nostalgia for me still exists. Like there was, there was a point in time where when you know when I left home, I I was in that transition period of like now I mm-hmm. have to figure out how to do Christmas. Uh, you know, I would go home a lot, but it didn't have that that same like you know growing up feeling. And then you're then you're you're at least for me I'm trying to figure out what are the traditions I want to carry into hmm. that I grew up with but are also what are the new ones so yeah I don't know like it's interesting how I remember a couple of years ago <laughs> we said we weren't going to go too dark or too uh, deep here but <laughs> a couple of years ago uh, my father-in-law passed away and hmm. I just remember the the grief was really really diff- interesting and different and and difficult for me and I remember it was it wasn't until I drank pumpkin spice that that flavor like oh, got me wow. like woke me up kind of out of um this feeling like a never ending thing because mm-hmm. uh, it was like the feeling of moving into a new season the season of fall and mm-hmm. so I do think there are ways that the holidays bring about uh meaning that kind of move us I think there's movement entailed with the meaning that comes with holidays. And I think that's also why we don't want to leave them sometimes. But mm. I bet I bet you could speak to that nostalgic experience pretty well. Creek. I have, I have a few thoughts. But let's 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 reemerge for a little bit and then we can dive <laughs> dive a little yeah. bit deeper. Uh, second half. <gasps> um, <laughs> what's a what's a fond childhood memory? Like a, a gift that you weren't expecting or um, a moment that you shared in your childhood for Christmas. Mm. My parents always did the thing where they would save the biggest thing for the end when you thought it was all over. <laughs> yes. And then they, then it was like it was pretty ridiculous stuff. Uh, like one year it was a dirt bike. We're like, what? Wow. <laughs> wow. Or uh, one year, I mean, it was BB guns. Another year, in a tree house. Another year. Uh, yeah, that was always really exciting. My my parents went above and beyond in ways they maybe shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm sure if I had more time to think about it, I could think of a specific gift. But I, I mostly just remember the feeling of when I was nine, we moved into this home 
that it was like my mom's dream home. And she loved this house so much. And there were like two living rooms, you know, so there's like your more formal one with the fireplace and no TVs allowed in that room. And then the the other one that was more like your rec room, right? And so we always had Christmas in the formal room with the fireplace and she had this, you know, like white furniture that just for some reason felt really fancy. And there were like all these windows and yeah, just something about the the feeling of that and knowing that this, this home held so much meaning for my family, kind of this, this space that we were all working toward having together and, and belonging in together. And it just, it really, really felt like home. Mm. And then I don't know why I just felt so luxurious. <laughs> sitting by the mm. fire, you know, sipping hot chocolate or whatever. And yes. Yeah. It's just that sounds a special. really lovely, loving Cozy. feeling. That's the, uh, to me, that sounds like the Danish term of huga, which people often equate it with the Scandinavian style of design or whatever, or it's like really minimalist, but it's actually like, it's basically the best translation is cozy, but it's not just like blanket, it's not just like a blanket and hot chocolate. It's a whole environment of mm. like your fire, your friends, your food, all these things that make up coziness. Um, this this whole aura of coziness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I think I think for me, the, honestly, the gift that stands out <laughs> is when my dad bought me a shotgun. Like. <laughs> Like I don't, I actually, I, I used to hunt. I don't really hunt much anymore, but. You were a hunter. I was, yeah. And we, like, it wasn't like trophy hunting or anything. It's all just like to help supply meat for the family. But at that stage of life, right? He was trusting me with this, with this tool. Responsibility. And like, I don't know. It was just it, responsibility. How, how old were you? I don't know, probably like 15, wow. something like somewhere around there. Did it feel like a rite of passage? Like it did actually a little bit. Yeah. And just, yeah, that's responsibility. Just anytime I like given that level of responsibility and trust was cool. Like I remember also when I was given like my first knife or pocket knife or something like that, that was another moment, but yeah. And I'm just, I am a sucker. I'm a sucker for (laughs) the nostalgia the 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 huga, uh like it's i have so many we do so many different things that are like traditions normally i'm a kind of a non-traditional person but what i love about the holidays is its intentionality mm. and it's when and i'm i'm i know i am a tradition i i'm not so much of a traditionalist but i am a intentionalist there you go and holidays are is when like other people engage the intentionality with me. And so to cultivate an experience for the whole month of December is basically what we're all doing. Um, <laughs> and you're finally like, finally people are getting on board with what yes. I do the rest of the year. Being intentional <laughs> with beauty and and luxury and having fun and art and like reminiscing and just being grateful for the life that we're living, even in the most, like as we're entering the darkest points of the season, at least mm-hmm. up here in the North. Right. So there's just, there's just multiple layers in which I 
absolutely love the end of the year holidays. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I got deep. I got deep again. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, you know I'm noticing that we're all talking about positive experiences, and I'm I'm seeing us all smiling and kind of lit up. I'm feeling mm-hmm. just sort of a, a very relaxed uh, sensation in my whole body talking about this because it feels good to me and it I feel loved when I think about these experiences and I know that that's not the case mm-hmm. for everybody. And so I do want to honor the fact that, you know, this time of year, it can trigger wonderful sentimentality and, and beautiful memories. It can also trigger a lot of grief and pain and that shows up really differently in the body. Yeah. I think there's, there's something to be said about holding those intention, right? Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping at Last, one of his Christmas songs. Love him. um, Yeah. His Christmas song, Snow, talks about, uh, what's the lyric? Something like, the table is set and the glasses are full, though pieces go missing, may we still feel whole. Mm. Um, And like this, this Christmas will be the first Christmas without my grandpa. Um, Yeah. Same for me with my grandpa. And yeah. And it's. I'm just, I'm learning to, I mean, that's maybe a different pain or different emotion than those who have just a general negative experience with Christmas altogether, maybe because the family has never gotten together or when they do get together, it's, it's hell. Um, Right. But there's always this in nostalgia, there's, there's bound to be some level of discomfort in intentional living, right? Intentionality comes with pain. Because you have an expectation of what something should be, and it's not. And so how, I guess the question I've been asking myself is, with like all the things that have been changing over the past few years, both with people dying, with people getting older, and people moving, all those sort of things, I can't keep holding on to the Christmas I once knew. So what does it look like to take the spirit of those fond memories that I have as a child, that magical feeling of Christmas, right? And how can I transition that into something that is new, but still is headed in the same direction? Mm-hmm. What are some new traditions, some new intentionalities that I can implement? And I've found the past couple of years that when I haven't kind of acknowledged that, that there's change that has happened that's when i most suffer Mm -hmm. Um, that's when i am most disappointed when christmas is not how it once was well yeah there's time time has passed things have changed and so there's there's just at least for me somatically at least the the excitement in my chest the openness the wonder the magic turns quickly into bitterness and depression and Mm mad at the world for changing (laughs) which is kind of silly on some level but it's but it's real um and so working with that and realizing oh i'm 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 sad because of how wonderful it was like i'm 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 sad because i loved what was um Mm -hmm. and staying with that has been really, really important as so many things have shifted for me and my family in the past few years. Definitely. 
I have a thought there, but Seth, I want to give you a chance. It looks like you're percolating. <laughs> I'm like Abram. a coffee maker over here. Yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> Tip I him was over, percolating. Pour him out. Um, yeah, no, I was, there was a lot going on in my brain. Let's see if any of it can come out with any articulation whatsoever. I was thinking about how, well, I forget the word you used, Creek. You took traditional or tradition. I'm not a traditionalist. Yes. I'm an, what did I say? Intentionalist. Intentionalist. Yes, intentionalist. And, and I'm thinking about how. You know, I think one of my favorite ways of using the Enneagram is, is this the first time we named it? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, an Enneagram podcast, by the way. If <laughs> you're is, just now tuning in. <laughs> uh, is uh, seeing how, using it to help us see how we are identified with things we've reified or concretized um, from the past that we're still that are still um, kind of floating without our awareness in our psyche? Uh, or how are we in relationship with as many parts of ourselves today as we can be? Um, so, so identification versus relationship. And I think the Enneagram can show us that really well. And I'm, and I'm just thinking about how when I'm identified with, with the parts of me that need this Christmas to be the exact same way mm-hmm. the last one or the ones that were my favorite were, how that just causes so much frustration and bitterness. Yeah. It might like work for a bit, but it is the reason for uh, any level of mental suffering, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being in relationship, I mean, this is kind of what I hear you talking about, Craig, just being in relationship with today and Christmas today and Christmas uh, in the way that I am today experiencing it now uh, in this season. But I'm also, then I was thinking about how, Lindsay, you were talking about the, the, the church calendar and, you know, how liturgy and how these things, mm-hmm. the best way that they are used are not as solely traditions to keep you stuck uh, yes. and doing the same thing over and over because that's what gets you bored. They mm-hmm. are meant to be guides to mm-hmm. help you move intention intentionally in this season really really well so i'm just mm-hmm. thinking about like that's where that's where my brain went as you were talking how there is such how you hold things like cultural myths or or liturgical calendars how you hold them whether they kind of cause you to idolatra idolatize idolatratize what's the word <laughs> Uh, idolize, idolize. How, they, <laughs> how they either cause you to idolize, <laughs> how you hold something like that, how how it helps you either how it either causes you to idolize a tradition and force it to be the same as it previously was, or mm-hmm. um, helps you deeply experience this well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because both of those things require structure, right? Yes. But one keeps you yep. stuck, and one keeps you going yeah. one helps you go deeper into it yeah right. it's why it's why like i've i'm a healthier person after using the same morning routine for a year now mm-hmm. you know i've uh, it didn't cause me to do the exact same thing every day and i didn't get stuck in something it caused me to it op- it's the idea of i think it's what the seven archetype shows us you know with restraint we find freedom mm. Lindsay. well i'm googling reified first <laughs> also Seth can you just 
you said cultural myths. Just can you clarify for for our audience, just in case they don't know? Oftentimes, a myth means like a lie or an untruth, but oh, that's not how you're actually referring yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good. I uh, 2023 is when I'm going to start reading more about myths. So, can you come back to me? I'm just kidding. Uh, no, that's when I will have. <laughs> <laughs> when I will have uh, like done my deep dive into an idea. Uh, yeah. No, but so what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to think of like an example rather than just trying to describe it. Um, uh, I always think of a myth as a story that mm-hmm. holds truth. It doesn't Boom. have to be true to hold truth. Yes. So, for example, even in my own faith tradition, I would call the stories I've been taught myths. Be, and people would be offended at that. But I'm not saying that they're false. I'm, I'm saying that they are stories we tell because stories carry power and stories hold truths. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So what were some of those great. cultural myths around Christmas that you were referencing? Uh, I mean, in a sense, there's like more directly obvious ways we mythologize things but i but i think it's also like it's a pattern that you find meaning um mm-hmm. from and so there's lots of ways that we we do that in our in our everyday even almost you know but especially around the holidays whether whether that is through your um your upbringing your upbringing in the religious experience that you have or had or whether you grew up grew up without one of those, there's still um, sort of cultural ways that uh, you mythologized something to find meaning, uh, to find some kind of truth, uh, to help you navigate, to help you feel a little bit closer to how reality works, as mm. I think what those are meant meant to be used for anyway. So, mm. how, what are the what are the ways that you help bring about feeling meaningful on a holiday? Like for me on Thanksgiving, I I do like to have on in the background the parade going, uh, you know, on TV, uh, not not the one outside. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just the sound of that for me. I think that's a way um, of bringing what feels most true about Thanksgiving, you know, the the memory of it into my home. Yeah, I I was thinking as you were talking, Creek, about, you know, how Christmas changes over time. And I was thinking about my own experience in that it's not so much that it's changed over time, but that I've changed over time. So my Hmm. orientation to this holiday is different as I've done my inner work. And I think probably for a lot of people in our audiences, they've worked with the Enneagram and are learning things about themselves. It's like, oh, wow, I have contributed all these years to certain family dynamics and now I'm changing. And so I feel a little bit like, how do I re-engage this situation now as a person who's more aware of their tendencies and patterns? So I think that that in and of itself brings some grief Um, and some Mm. sadness because there's lots of ways that I wish I could go back to the ideas that I had about my family, you know, uh, extended Mm. family, especially like 
as a as an Enneagram too and as a navigating too, you know, feeling like we are all connected and we all belong. You know, that was the sense that I grew up with as a child. And I just wanted to bring anybody into that. Anybody who wanted to feel connected and belong, I wanted to bring them into that. And then as I grew up, I realized that not everyone in my family felt connected and felt that they belonged. And so I was literally having like a different experience than other people. And that that really made me sad. Yeah. And so just going going back into those situations with this awareness of how my a lot of my illusions have been shattered, but that's okay. I think there's more there, but that's all I have right now. That's just bringing up something for me. Uh, so I've been to Paris like three, four times. I don't remember. Stop. Oh, jealous. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and especially us in the, in the United States have this particular view on Paris, Parisian culture or French culture, which can be different. But especially just like, I remember the first time going, right? You just expect to be able to like taste romanticism in the air, right? <laughs> just like the je ne sais quoi of like every corner is just wah. And like there was absolutely Paris is great. I love Paris. There's some beautiful things about it. But every time I've gone back and spent time with one of my friends there who lives in Paris, uh, she's a Tunisian Parisian. And this pastime was the kind of the, the blinders fully fell off. Now that doesn't mean that Paris isn't a really special city, but I was actually able to see like just people, there's just another place that people live, mm. right? There's nothing special about it. Nothing like extra, extraordinary about it. And in fact, there's a lot of really terrible things, right? Some, some obvious inequalities, some, mm. It's it's uh it can be really dirty in places, right? It's not all this pristine romance every every direction, right? And it actually like when I left, I I thanked her, right? Because it was I actually got to see Paris and not my perception of Paris. And I think that's that just reminds me of what you're talking about, Lindsay. Of maybe it's not the blinders have kind of fallen off that it, not everything is perfect and magical about Christmas. But if we're able to not resist those discoveries, I think we're able to actually sink deeper into the experience of wherever we're at, Christmas or Paris or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love that. Uh, by the way, uh, a cultural myth is a traditional story that holds special significance for the people of a given culture. He wasn't listening to anything we just said. He was. <laughs> I was, because I, I was though, because uh, I did have another thought uh, in response to that. That I wonder if there is in the regular, not regular, but healthy development of a maturing adult, a place in which a point in time in your in your story where you have to become disenchanted with mm-hmm. certain things. Uh, but but also at some point in time, you then learn a new kind of uh, reenchantment. Mm. There is that is I think what is coming. I think I am like beginning to get some of the the smells and the tastes of 
of what that might mean as mm-hmm. I bring in not and, and I don't I don't mean as only as I bring in like my as I build my family and they start to feel it and so it trickles to me I, I mean like as I start to see more clearly mm-hmm. um, see more expansively as my awareness uh, grows and I begin to kind of experience life more directly as it actually is less through my filtered lens you know I think there is a re-enchantment that also begins to happen there um, as we are maturing. Mm. So, I, but I but I do think that means we have to experience some level of disenchantment from what we once had, what things previously, how things previously gave us all our meaning. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. Yeah, because what I what I realized was that like the connection and belonging that I was hoping to feel at Christmas time was really about what I needed, you know, like what, what mm. I wanted. It wasn't about what was really happening. It was sort of an imposed expectation on, on everyone else. And sometimes they could fill that for me and sometimes they couldn't. So mm. there's a disenchantment there about this, this is my family and they're not always going to fill this need that I have. And it's not great that I'm expecting them to, you know? It makes me like it almost feels like the disenchantment you're talking about is the the movement from magical thinking to wonder thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At least for me, it's it's the belief in Santa Claus and whatever else, right? That's magical thinking. I think I think I'm not a professional here, but I think it's important for children to have some magical thinking um, mm-hmm. because I think it's the doorway oh, yeah. into wonder. Yeah, And there's going to be a, a time where you have to give up that magical thinking. But what you've learned in that is that there are un- unexplainable things that inspire you to greater things, to like what what else could be out there and get a sense of your smallness, I think, on some level, mm. that you don't know everything and that it's really in the simplicity in the tiny, minute moments of magic as a child is honestly oftentimes those intentional moments in which we're present and we're actually able to observe with clarity the wonder that's always around us. I really actually, I like those. I keep saying actually, and I don't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we'll talk about it later. It's just one of those words I'm annoyed that I use without thinking. Well, one thing I was I was going to bring in that that language I think helps distinguish is that we can't go back to the garden. Mm. There's this sort of uh, spiritual bypassing way of thinking that we're just trying to become like kids again mm-hmm. when it's not actually that we're trying to go back to baby consciousness that's not no. a thing you can't that's like merging again where you're where you lose uh your sense of self there's a way that when you have that sort of traditionalist mindset still operating that you're trying to create magic again when that's mm-hmm. not possible yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah what you can do is find wonder through tradition yeah we have it flipped what i think what you're talking about is like what you said with we're trying to recreate the magic of utopia of finally everything is okay everything is right everything is perfect 
Mm-hmm. Um, finally, all is one and there is no tension or contradiction. And it's impossible to return to that, at, even if, if it ever existed, right? And instead of, instead of trying to work against kind of the nature of reality, you need to adjust your, your framing or your reference or your position to it. And that how do I, how do I ride the wave of this to find bigger and more wondrous things and not try to capture the river? Uh, and what if any grammatically, you know, our type patterns are how we try and manufacture something fundamental about ourselves that we feel like we lost in the process of growing up, mm-hmm. but it's actually through practice that we cultivate the 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 real thing, the adult version of what mm. we're trying to, what we feel like we lost. And this would be the virtue. Mm-hmm. So this Christmas, a listener, thanks for thanks for joining us on this year, even though it's been kind of a wild, wild ride for us getting episodes out, but really excited for this next year coming up. And hopefully this is a precursor to the kind of conversations we're going to be having, um, digging deeper into um, some of the language that we use uh, in this culture of self-growth and development and trying to continually see more and more clear um, what's in front of us and and learning to love that regardless of its contradictions so uh, Merry Christmas to all and a good night Merry, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Christmas thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms an Enneagram podcast if you found this episode helpful in any way consider sharing it with a friend or family member we are so honored to be on this journey with you discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.